You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to episode 161 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. And we are brought to you by GameMat.eu for beautiful pre-painted terrain and beautiful game mats and Patreon.com members. And they are beautiful and good smelling and sexy and all the things that you'd expect out of my Patreon members. So what are we talking about tonight? Well, we are specifically talking about one topic. And we don't have a Tesseract mailbox because nobody wrote in. Oh my gosh. It's time for people to start writing in again. I just ran out last week and I was hoping I'd get another letter this week, but I did not. Um, It's actually fine because the Real Talk segment tonight took a long time. It's about a half hour. And it's talking about the seven deadly game design sins. And as you know, game design is one of my favorite topics. And I am not, this is not just a bash GW thing. I also bring up Heroclix and uh, Minecraft and some other stuff. So don't worry about that. Um, I am also, I told you, I'm pledging to try to stay positive and not super negative. So this is not super negative. Um, just as just discussing it. And that is about it. What have I been up to? I played a game of... I don't even know what I played this week. What did I play? Oh, I played my Gene Stealer Cult. Pulled them out for the first time in a while. Played them against my friend Devin. And I beat him 14-4. to We were only playing um, five objectives. The one in the very center was worth three points in the command phase. The other ones were just worth one point. So, 14-4, um, to I beat him. And uh, Blood Angels did pretty well against the Gene Sealer Cult. Of course, Gene Sealer Cult are paper armor, as they always are. But that is the fun of playing them. And um, I think I did pretty well. I did not roll very well. And that is the problem. I rolled pretty darn crappy. Um, I attacked him with eight of those Sledgehammer attacks with the Aberrants. And I needed a four up to hit, obviously. So eight attacks, and I hit twice. And then I only wounded him once. And it was a Dreadnought I was going against. I only wounded his Dreadnought once. And then he saved it with an Involve because he did some sort of spell on himself. So that was exciting. (laughs) I did not roll very well at all. Um, So I can't tell you how many times I re-rolled something that was a 1 and then I got another 1. And I'm like, oh, well, that's, that's the way this is, I suppose. But I was still able to pull it off. I was excited. Um, I had a lot of board control the entire game. And he made a couple significant errors. And uh, one of them that you can learn from is that he did not focus fire. He had two whirlwinds. And he did not focus fire. He could have killed one of my vehicles in the very first turn. And then for some reason chose to select a different unit. Even though whirlwinds don't need line of sight. And uh, so... You know, there's there's some issues there with um, his choices. He also put his captain up on top of a bastion and never moved him, which is an odd choice because of the six-inch aura and all that. And, uh, you know, I mean, there were snipers up on the bastion, but just five. It's not like it was some, you know, 30-man squad of snipers. And essentially, the entire game, I just bounced off stuff because I was just rolling hot garbage. And it wasn't that great, but I did have the board and I did... Uh, get the points. So I guess that's good. Um, I have finally finished the first draft of the Brutality Supplement, the Narrative Missions Module 1, 
and I'm very excited about it. It's like 83 pages, and it'll be full color like always, and now I'm just going through the first round of editing, and then I will go through a second and third and fourth and probably fifth round of editing, just going through, making sure everything makes sense, making sure everything, you know, typos and whatnot. So that is what I've been up to. And uh, something else, I have to admit, me and my son are addicts. Addicts of what? Well, we are addicts of cringe. And if it's not a cringe compilation or whatever, I just love cringe. The social awkwardness of cringy stuff is awesome. And one thing we love to do is read really old comic books. Um, and some of them are only from the 90s, but they're so cringy, you know, calling people um, uh, scuzzwipe. Oh, you scuzzwipe. And that's supposed to be like some sort of like really rude, but it's like, a, what is a scuzzwipe? Like, a, just whatever. Um, and we were, I bought one at the flea market the other day. Then I, I was like, I have to read this with my son. And it was one of the 1970s girls magazines, the love, I think it's called Young Hearts or something like that. And it's all like romance and fashion. And it is the cheesiest, oh my gosh, we were howling laughing. It is the cheesiest nonsense you will ever read, ever. And one of them, it's got several little short stories in them. And yes, they are kid-friendly. It's Comics Code Authority approved and all that. And it's meant for like teenage girls, so there's no explicit anything in it. But one of them is Taming the Tiger. And this girl sees this guy on the beach and... You know, when all the other surfers come in because their waves are too rough, he goes out and he rides a motorcycle and he races his uh, Mustang and and she says that she wants to tame this tiger. Oh my gosh. And he's like, listen up, toots. I'm the blah, blah, blah. And I'm my own man. And you'll you'll never tame me. And oh man, it is so cringy, but we love every minute of it. It's ridiculous. So that is quality time well spent with my son because we have a blast with it. So anyway, uh, I think I'll, I think I'll end it there. So you go on and you listen to the seven deadly sins of game design. Now it's time for real talk with pimp cron. Well, howdy partner. I think you know, as well as I do that it's time for real talk with the pimp cron. And today we're talking about the seven deadly sins of game design. And we're not going to be specifically crapping on GW for this because they're not necessarily guilty of all of these. But just in general, miniatures games and hero clicks and war gaming and maybe even card games, games in general have some serious flaws and they do actually fall into the seven deadly sins. So let's start with that. Number one would be lust, and you're thinking, what on earth does lust have to do with gaming? Well, number one, it is not necessarily the lust of the game company, but it's the lust that they instill in their players. And what I mean by that is a company that is constantly releasing new product, constantly. And not only does that new product look pretty and shiny and new, and everybody naturally wants everything that's new... But also that new product usually comes with some sort of edge, like what we would call power creep. So, of course, if you are the type of person that wants to be up to date with all of the new hotness and all of that, and you want to keep up with the meta and whatever, then you definitely have to develop a lust over all of their new product. And that is definitely by design. There's a couple things that sometimes, whether it's Games Workshop or it's Hero Clicks or whatever, sometimes you know that there is a certain unit or a certain model that 
it was just designed to sell because the model could be good or bad looking, it doesn't matter, but their rules are so good that you know people will be lusting after them and clamoring them, uh, clamoring for them at the stores and online and whatever. So they really do foment a sense of lust over their product. And it is kind of like a Pavlov's dog sort of thing, because if you get in that mindset, and I know we've discussed this before on the show, if you get in that mindset of always consuming, it makes you a consumer, and you're constantly wanting to get that thrill or that buzz of buying new models and spending money and all of that. So there is definitely a, uh, every time they do like a little leak, your mouth starts salivating. That is definitely lust that they have generated for you over their product. And um, like I said, new product alone is not necessarily a bad thing. But when the new product is always and reliably better, significantly better than the old stuff, well, that's completely different. Now, I guess I could sit here and say how brutality is completely different from that. Hmm, maybe I'll turn this into one of those. I'm sure all of you are not sick of hearing about how brutality is great. But to be honest with you, um, uh, my goal for the game is no power creep whatsoever. So in this new supplement that's going to be coming out, um, and in the last supplement, there are new legendary traits. There are new model abilities. There are new things that you can have to build an army. This new one even has new upgrades. But all of them are designed to be on the same power level as the existing things. None of it, none of these books are a must-buy in order to be competitive. None of them. And some of the rules are a teeny bit better, some of them are a teeny bit worse, but the point is more options. So that is my goal. More options, not power creep. And um, I've worked very hard to do that. So just want to just wanna throw that in there, and I might end up doing that with all these categories. You don't know. Gluttony. Gluttony is the next thing that we would go for uh, game design. And gluttony is when they throw everything and the t- kitchen sink in the mechanics of the game. Of course, you see that a lot in Games Workshop because they have modifiers to hit. They have re-rolls to hit. They have modifiers to wound. They have re-rolls wounds or re-roll, you know, ones to wound or plus one to wound against vehicles or monsters or whatever. And then they've got armor penetration where armor penetration is different levels and then sometimes during different doctrines it's more than others, or if you roll a six, then there's others, and then the saves are another mechanic, and then the saves have these re-rolls and modifiers and re-roll ones or whatever, and then you've got to feel no pain, and feel no pain is a extra save on top of your save and blah blah blah, and then sometimes you can bring things back, like Tomb Kings or Necrons or whatever. Then you get a chance to bring things back. Different spells add new models to the unit. The Apothecary can bring people back and all sorts of stuff. So you see right there that it is mechanic layered on mechanic, layered on mechanic, layered on mechanic. And then you've got things that only certain armies do, such as you know magic spells, but also such as spawning new models or new units and uh, different tides, the the gore tides, or whatever they're called, for the um, uh, corn bloodbound, or the terrain features, or like the uh, gloom spike gets with their moon that goes over the board and has different effects, or, or whatever. It's just, 
It's where a company thinks it's a good idea to throw in every single mechanic they could possibly think of and then borrow a couple more from other systems. Um, Heroclix ended up doing this. And back when I used to play Heroclix, there was, I think, six powers per slot, like movement, attack, defense, damage. I think there were six powers, or there might have been eight powers when I first started. And if you look at them now over the years... They've got like I think it's ten or twelve powers per per slot, and then they have card abilities that are like a little X um, on their dial, or it's a little symbol on their dial that's outside of those charts. And then they have team abilities, and then they have the white abilities, which are often a combination of two powers, or it's a modification on a power, and it's just. It's just plain nuts. And Magic the Gathering has also ran into powers, uh, power issues like that. Um, that. Over the different systems, they've had different gimmicks that they relied heavily on for this set. You know, this set, oh, it's everything flanking and, and Bushido or whatever. And then the next one is, oh, whatever. You get what I'm saying. Um, and games, you know, ideally, with a game like <coughs> Cough Brutality, um, Somebody that is very into game design and realizes the balance in that will set up a structure of game mechanics that you have plenty of room to manipulate within the parameters of that structure. So you will never see me add a feel no pain to brutality because that would be an additional role, and that's an additional mechanic, and ultimately all of these different mechanics and all these different roles, when you're rolling to hit, and then re-rolling, and then rolling to wound, and re-rolling, and then rolling to save, and then re-rolling, and then maybe a feel-no-pain, or maybe a invulnerable save, and then maybe you come back later, or maybe, I mean, you are adding mechanics on top of mechanics. And Brutality, if I were to do like a Feel No Pain, then it would probably be a static negative modifier to the wound chart roll or some sort of special thing with their save. But the point is, is that I am not going to add an additional roll for no reason because it just bogs down the game. And that would be, well, gluttonous. Wow, back to the original point. That is fantastic. Look at that. That was almost what mom would call a segue. The next thing. Uh, the next thing, and oh, you know, I also want to add on to the gluttony part, is that the gluttony part, a lot of times they add things for the sake of just adding them, and a lot of times the net change is not very high at all. Um, like, for instance, when they decide in a new edition to give a lot of different new units extra wounds, like Space Marines having extra wounds, and now Trueborn having extra, or Firstborn having extra wounds, and now Terminators having extra wounds, and all of this stuff... But then you turn right around and make so many weapons to damage now. It's like, well, why did you increase the hit points just to increase the damage across the board practically? Because everything that I'm hearing now, uh, Just James was just telling me about the um, Beast Nagus. And he's like, oh, everything is strength five, two damage. I'm like, oh, okay. So that's basically Marine Killers. And that, whatever he was talking about, used to be one damage. Okay, so now, just like Heavy Bolter's being two damage now. It's like, okay, so you're going to give everyone extra wounds, so it seems like you're changing the meta, and then shortly after, or over a long period of time, you're going to 
change all the damage to increase the damage. So then the net change is not different at all. It's just different for the sake of differentness, you know. And that is where the gluttony gets in there. Um, so they should set a rules parameter for the game and the game mechanics and then just work within that. The next one would be greed. And to be honest, I don't even have to go into that. You guys more than know about the greed of these companies. And I am a business person. I totally understand about needing to make a profit and they've got tons of overhead costs and all of that. I totally understand. I also understand that this hobby is a premium. And if you don't like it, then to be honest, you should just get out or use 3D printed models or use recasts or do whatever the heck you want because it is your hobby. Um, so I'm really not going to get into the greed of it. Um, but it does go into the lust part as well, like I talked about. The constant release of new stuff. It's the constant machine, the engine to constantly produce new product to keep grabbing that cash. Which, you can't really blame them, but I won't go any further with greed. On the exact flip side, the companies, Heroclix is, is one of those that's pretty bad about this. And Games Workshop in the past, this is one of the things Games Workshop used to be bad about is they would take forever with FAQs and erratas and things like that. And Heroclix has ran into that issue. I think Magic the Gathering is actually pretty good about it. I think they FAQ stuff pretty regularly. Um, but there's some other uh, miniatures games that have taken a long while to do any rules clarifications or FAQs. And that is Sloth. That's Sloth right then and there. And really, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious about it. Um, even if they're production rate is fast the speed in which they make clarifications for what the rules actually mean versus what they kind of sound like they mean that is definite sloth and um, games workshop has pretty much cleaned their cleaned up their act on that but um i've hear tons of complaints from the heroclix community about how they you know they they will they may even issue an faq but then they don't address some of the big issues so it's either um, disconnect with their community or it's just they don't care or they don't think it's a big problem or maybe they don't know how they want to rule on it. But either way, they're being lazy and you need to work on that immediately. If you have rules that are unclear, you give the feel bads to both your players because one player might say it means A, one player says it means B. And meanwhile, if you're too lazy to actually answer the question officially, then someone's someone's going to lose out in that argument and they're going to get the feel-bads. Now, the next one is Wrath. And the way that I see Wrath, this might be a little odd for you guys. Yes, you could say that Games Workshop with the new, the new intellectual property actions they've been taking against YouTubers and all that, maybe that's Wrath, and maybe it is. But Or the frivolous lawsuits, sometimes they do. A lot of these companies will do frivolous lawsuits and um, things to protect their IP and all that. And you can either blame them for that or you cannot blame them for that. But to be honest, Wrath is kind of violent and punishing. And the way I see Wrath for game design is pigeonholing your codex or your army or your players into playing only one certain type of way. And if they don't, they get punished, essentially. So ideally... Every codex in a perfect world would have multiple playstyles. If you want to do all fast units, or you want to do all you know heavily armored units, or you want to do all infantry, or you want to do all psychers, arguably every single army or every single model should be able to do many different things. And if they can't, then they become a one-trick pony, and that army even becomes a one-trick pony. 
and um, like the way I used to feel Caradron Overlords was. Now I think they're better now because of all their mobility, but they did not used to be mobile at all for Age of Sigmar. They were not mobile. So you only had a static gun line, and a lot of people would argue about that for um, Tau as well. They're just a static gun line, they don't like to move, and you get penalized if you don't do the whole gun line thing. Um, I'm sure all of my Kroot players are going to back me up on that. And uh, a lot of times you're like, oh, well, I really want to play Necrons this certain way. Well, sorry, you can't, because they didn't give you those options. And that's when I feel like it's being wrathful or punishing because you say, look at this, orcs can only play this one way, and that's that. Or Heroclix, oh, well, these builds, these certain builds are so much more powerful than any other build, then you're basically being punished by not using them, basically. Um, it's some, the same thing with a lot of the classes in like MMOs and video games. Some of the classes just have so much more utility than others. When's the last time you played a game and all of the magic options were useful? All of them, even D&D, there's a lot of spells that are far better than other spells. And it's like, yes, but then that kind of makes it an auto-take and you're getting punished if you're not min-maxing or you're playing to the optimal build and uh, it's the same thing with Warhammer or anything else um, so that's what I think the wrath in game design is is when they punish you for not playing the way that they intended you to play which ideally this is your game and you know you should play it however you'd like but they don't always give you that option the next one would be envy and I think you all know well I think you've all experienced some envy at one time it's when a game elicits envy in its players by constantly and enthusiastically supporting one faction overall. And we hear that a lot from the Tyranid players, how they don't get any love, but meanwhile Space Marines have a million books. Um, Stormcast are on their like, fourth or fifth codex, and meanwhile, you know, Seraphim have had, what, two, I think? Um, it's just, You hear this a lot, and it's because people envy the fact that other armies get so much stuff, and they don't. Um, when's the last time we've had anything new for Harlequins? When's the last time we've had anything new for um, a lot of the armies? I mean, Tyranids have not had anything new recently. And um, Gene Stealer Cult, I guess technically their whole army is new by, what, five years or so? But they really haven't gotten much new. Imperial Guard really hasn't gotten a lot of stuff new. I mean, there's a lot of factions that really haven't. And the same thing you've seen here at Clicks as well. Um... I hear a lot of complaints that X-Men get everything and Avengers get everything, but Fantastic Four will go several sets and not get anything at all. Of course, Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman get everything, but The Flash is often neglected. Um, things like that, where, um, you know, and there's a million secondary or tertiary characters in comics that people would love to have just one model of. And uh, a lot of times they just don't get the spotlight as far as Heroclix being made. Now, obviously, there are reasons for this. Just like when I had that talk with the Games Workshop employee that um, Space Marines sell head and shoulders over everybody else. So the more Space Marines stuff that you come out with, the more things that you are going to sell in mass. So, of course, Space Marines are going to be every other release. And that's just the way it is. Clearly, Tyranids are not as much of a popular property as Space Marines. So they are not going to get as much love. 
It's just the way it is. And um, same thing with X-Men and Avengers and all that stuff. Those big names are what people will continue to buy models about. And, you know, a lot of the small characters just will not draw the dollars that the big ones will. So, Tough Noogies, if you really like Iron Fist, and they've only made, you know, two or three Iron Fists in the last 25 years of Heroclix, that's just too bad, because he's not that popular of a character compared to the 75,000 Spider-Man that they've made. I completely understand people getting upset over that, and sometimes I feel a little jilted too, but to be honest, they these companies don't owe us anything, and if you don't like it, then talk with your dollars and boycott their stuff if you really want to. It probably won't make any difference whatsoever, because it takes a lot of people to boycott for them to even notice there's a bump in the road, but you do you, boo, and maybe if enough of you do it, then they will hear your cries, your pleas. But going back to Envy, the problem with Envy in a gaming community is that some people feel like they are neglected compared to other people. If you play Space Marines, you play Stormcast, it seems like every other day you're getting something new. Meanwhile, you know, Lizardmen have gotten very little new in the past couple years. Um, and Caradron Overlords arguably are a newer army, but they also haven't gotten anything new. So there are plenty of armies that just don't seem to be getting a whole lot. I mean, if if you are a World Eaters player, you certainly feel kind of left in the lurch as far as, you know, Death Guard have models and Thousand Sons have models. And I think I heard a rumor even about uh, Emperor's Children getting their own models soon. But it just feels like Word Bearers or World Eaters are just uh, kind of left out there. And that is once again going to cause feel bads in your community because people are going to feel like they don't matter as much as your other customers that buy into the things that you want to peddle. And in a way it is kind of true. If those things don't sell as well, then you are less valuable to them and they don't owe you anything. They're a company and you know, even if they make bad decisions, it's their decisions to make. A example that is non-tabletop gaming that comes to mind is that occasionally MMOs will give away um, special items or things like that that you can only get through this one convention or you can only get, you know, for doing this limited time event or whatever. And then any new players that come, they will never have access to those things because they will have to probably spend a lot of money to get them from other players or they just don't have access to them at all. If it's a special cape or it's a whatever, you know, special axe. I remember hearing that there was a uh, RuneScape convention and like the first, there was like hundreds or thousands of people there and like a hundred people or the first 25 people got this special super rare item and nobody else got it. And then everyone else is like, well, gee, I mean, why don't you just let everybody have it? You know, that sort of thing. You really don't want your people to turn on each other and uh, your community to feel like, oh, this is the favorite son sort of scenario. The final thing is pride. And to be honest with you, I feel like pride is when a company does not want to support the community. And the company feels like, hey, we are the only people that can create content. We're the only people that matter. Our content is the only people that matter. And that's going to sound like a super anti-intellectual property stance. And that's not what I'm saying at all. But like, for instance, there are a lot of people that make stuff for brutality. And they do it out of the 
enjoyment of the game and the enthusiasm they have and they want to do something. So, for instance, I have um, perfectly utilitarian uh, character sheets in the back of the book. I spent hours and hours and hours figuring out the best way to lay it out so that I could fit so many on the sheet, but they weren't too small and everything has a place and it, you can fill in all your information and all that. And I cannot tell you how many people have made their own uh, character sheets. And almost, well, pretty pretty much every single one of them are covering the same information mine is, and then they have like a bunch of dead space and a lot of um, areas that are wasted space or there's nothing in there or, or whatever. And I'm thinking, my layout was so uh, fine-tuned and so really thought out so I could move this here so I've got room for this or whatever. And of course, mine's not perfect. Nothing's perfect, but people are like, oh, I made my own character sheet, and they post it on the Facebook page, and I'm thinking to myself, did you not look in the back of the book? Like, I spent so much time on that character sheet, and you did not, I guess, notice it in the back of the book, but do I get mad over that? No, because I take it as that the people are super excited about the game, and whether they know my character sheet exists or not, they liked it enough and were enthusiastic enough to put their effort into making their own character sheet. And, you know, maybe for them it works far better than mine. I I can't speak to that. All I know is that they like the game enough and they're interested enough to spend their time and make something for my game. And that means I'm super all for it. Like, I, I'm always a little puzzled why you would remake something that was already made, but maybe mine doesn't jive for them. Maybe they find it too small or maybe whatever. And in that, in that case, I would never discourage that because I, I'm trying to support the community. And anytime somebody makes something for brutality and says, oh, look, I did this, I, I did these character cards that you can print out or whatever, hey, you know what? That is a sign that someone likes my product. And the more free they are to make their own stuff um, based off of or interacting with my product, then the more people may find enjoyment about it. It's actually a lot of how um, video games used to be before they allowed modding. They said, hey, we're the only ones that can write in this game, and you're going to enjoy it, and you're going to like it, and that's that, and you're not allowed to change the game in any way. But eventually, a lot of video games discovered that if you will allow the community to mod the game, look at Minecraft for crying out loud. That game is about as boring and vanilla and about five hours of playthrough that you possibly can get. But do you know how many, probably thousands of mods have been made for Minecraft that has increased the longevity of that game? And the developer didn't have to do that. Like, they didn't have to do that work. They just said, hey, you want to mod? Go ahead and mod. And then the players who have enthusiasm and interest in that game they go out of their way to make mods to enhance other people's enjoyment of the game. And ultimately, they're still enjoying your game, even if they put their own twist on it. And uh, Dungeons & Dragons is really good about this, because Dungeons & Dragons has like, um, I'm going to probably mess it up, but it's basically a Creative Commons agreement that, hey, you can use our rule set and all of that, don't use our images or our trademark stuff, but you can essentially make whatever supplements you want in our game system, in our world, and we are not going to pursue legal action against you. I think a lot of D&D &D players really appreciate that take on it, and um, 
And I think Dungeons and Dragons has really seen a rebirth in recent years. And of course, there's several factors like Stranger Things and, you know, quarantine and all of that and the rise of the tabletop games again. But I think it was greatly helped by, you know what, if you want to play Dungeons and Dragons, but you want it to be sci-fi robots, then there are third-party companies that have made those supplements using the 5th edition rule set. If you have, if you want to play Dungeons and Dragons, but it's all Cthulhu, you know, paranormal horror, guess what? There's tons of rule sets or um, supplements that people have made using 5th edition to do that. I mean, if you want it to be modern day or you want it to be anything, and ultimately people are still going to be buying Dungeons and Dragons rule books and supplements and all of that, even if they put their own spin on it. And I think that's a really healthy look at it. Obviously, you should not be taking their their intellectual property stuff, you know, but at least they're open to you doing that. And that's a little bit of the sin that I see the pride with Games Workshop. Now, obviously, Games Workshop is a miniatures company. You cannot hate on them for not wanting other people's miniatures to be used because it's their miniatures company. But they, I think they would be wise to realize that kit bashing and proxying and things like that do exist and that they maybe not embrace it, but just passively allow it with no problem. Now, a lot of tournaments and things like that allow that. We allow proxying to a degree as long as it meets criteria and Shorehammer and all that. Um, but I do hear that a lot of Games Workshop stores do not allow any third party anything, and it's got to be all Games Workshop. And you understand where they're coming from, certainly, but it also seems very proudful and prideful, and uh, you know, it just—I think it puts a bad taste in people's mouth, especially when they like to kit bash and make things their own creatively. But then again. I have a different view on it because I just truly want people to play my game. I'll never get rich off of brutality, but I'm just thrilled that I've got, you know, 2,000 some people in our Facebook group and all of that, just actually almost 3,000 people in the Facebook group and just people enjoying the game and, you know, having a community and a shared experience and I can put stuff out and people enjoy it. And that that means the most to me, more than dollar signs. Now, of course, these are big corporations, Games Workshop, WizKids, all of that. They basically have no choice. They have to be hitting that bottom line all the time. And I completely understand that. So I'm not hating on them for that. But sometimes a little bit of leniency would go a long way. You know what? If somebody wants to make some fan films about your IP and they are not making money off it, then if they're not making money off it, then I would say you just passively, quietly let them make that as long as they're not making money off it. Um, because, you know, it, this is a passion project, and then maybe other people will see this and go, oh, wow, what a great universe. This is something that, you know, Games Workshop is not currently making, these CGI movies or whatever. Um, but, you know, it's I'm just an armchair commentator here. Anyway, thank you to GameMat.eu for supporting the show, and thank you to all my beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons, and I will see you next week.